So welcome to episode 20 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. How are you, Darren? How you been enjoying the finals so far? Yeah, okay. You know, I kind of wish it was 2-2. I wish they'd closed out. But um, signs of life, Daz, signs of life. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're pretty much in the same position that we're in last year, 3-1. Um, obviously, different way of getting here. Had, had uh, Draymond got his second technical the other day, which he probably should have in game four, maybe they review that, maybe suspend it again, and we really are having some deja vu. But um, there certainly were a few players in that game actually should have earned a suspension um, looking back on it. But uh, how have you seen? I mean, have you been surprised by how it's gone so far? I mean, to me, it's been pretty much the sort of the script I would have expected, um, except maybe I expected Cleveland to win game three and Golden State to win game four, but if you sort of swap those around. But I guess from Cleveland's point of view, they really would be so disappointed they're not heading back to Oakland 2-2 after what happened in game three. Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> there's no no place in the seven-game series for moral victories, right, to, to say the bloody least. But um, after... You know, games one and two, um, pretty competitive first halves, but both the second halves were absolute wipeouts. So um, I, from that perspective, to come and have basically four um, four halves of um, borderline, they probably won almost all four halves. I think what Golden State did have the lead. I think Golden State had the lead at halftime in game three, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did actually have a five or six point lead. But uh, so, but um. But basically, Cleveland won Cleveland, and Golden State won Golden State. So, that's just one more shot goes down. The Corver three goes down. Um, if Iguodala doesn't make an amazing defensive play there on LeBron in the final possession, you know, it just it needed a Golden State needed everything to go right that final two minutes. It just so happened to go right the final two minutes of Game Three. So, uh, as much as I want to go, and probably I think you probably feel you're in the same camp to sort of question, borderline criticize the whole concept of the roster construction, number one, the number two, the style of play for the past four games. All that being said, and probably we'll, we'll get into both of those aspects, they were one bounce and warden shot or one and a half possessions from this being 2-2 and effectively vindicating um, what they've been doing for the last 365 days. Yeah, so, well, this is the discussion we've had all year, isn't it? I mean, what... You have to beat the only way you're going. To, you're not going to beat the Warriors talent for talent. So you have to beat them stylistically. And what is the style of basketball you need to play? And we sort of debated it between San Antonio and Houston, not really knowing. I guess what we, we sort of. I, I personally was expecting Cleveland to do what they did pretty much last year. A lot of ISO ball, but certainly try and slow the game down, play through the post a bit more. Um, and they've done the complete opposite. But I think in game four, we got a little bit of a view of what Ty Lue's tactics were um, if everything went well for them. And that is to come out, play fast at the beginning, build a lead, and then play a bit slower in the second half um, when you've got the lead. So you can sort of play a bit slower and then it can make it so it's a bit harder for Golden State to go on those runs. And that's why I think you've seen LeBron come out of the blocks in those first two games like he was shot out of a cannon. And he, of course, tied in the well. second halves because <laughs> you, you can't keep up the pace that he was playing at. Um, but unfortunately for Cleveland, 
they were competitive in the first halves of those games, and I'm not sure how many other teams, if any other team in the NBA, would have been competitive the way those games were played. Maybe Houston on their best night could have gone with Golden State the way they did, but as the game went on, and even in Game 3, they started to tire, and Golden State finished the better in all of the first three games. Game 4, they had enough of a lead where when they slowed the game down in the second half, because it was less than 100 possessions, Game 4... Um, but so they were able to slow Golden State down. Golden State never really got on much of a run um, in that second half. But uh, so I think that that sort of show gave me a window, I guess, because you kept thinking when the first three games, what's Tyler doing? What's what's the thinking here? And I think that was it. That was just like we need to get on top of these guys early, and they felt the best way to do it was just to come out and. I mean, they were jacking up shots. It was like Mike D'Antoni would have loved every minute of it, but it was like the old seven seconds or less suns, but without Steve Nash running the show, you know, without the structure of it, it was just jack up a shot. And you had Emon Chumpets, you know, loading up shots like he was Camillo Anthony and J.R. Smith couldn't make a <laughs> shot. And it was it was really, I, I, th- I think it's been awful basketball from my point of view, but I know other people have been watching it and been really enjoying it. So um, I guess it's, it's a different thing about what you, what you like in basketball and what you want to see. Um, with some of these games but I think that was the big talking point in the first two games in particular was just the pace Cleveland played at and how it was just so clearly unsustainable but do you sort of feel had they have gotten the leads obviously then they could have slowed the game down I mean does that make sense to you from Ty Lue's point of view maybe that was his thinking about coming out so fast in those particular those first two games well it's a I do and then I don't because this is the this is the art of coaching where it's a bit of pick your poison with a team as good as Golden State. So if you slow down, Daz, right, what happens is um, Golden State is one of the best defensive teams in the league. And how many playmakers does Cleveland have? They got Kyrie and LeBron. Kevin Love ain't blowing by anybody. Tristan Thompson's borderline unplayable. Corver, Smith, and Shumpert basically are only good for an occasional slash and a spot up. So they can basically have two playmakers. And so the more, when you get into a half court game, you're just basically playing into golden state strength, right? The bo- the boa constrictor defense that they play and their ability to, they're quicker. Um, Draymond green is the best defender in, in the entire league. So that's my thinking. And you, you go back and you go back to your memory banks or go back to the, go back to your Googles with the interwebs, with the videos, <laughs> watch, watch what pop did right. And your famous, you know, almost three quarters of basketball um, with um, San Antonio against Golden State. So if Golden State's a better defensive team and they're quicker, the logic says you actually have to attack early. Take your best first shot. That's what Cleveland's done, and Cleveland's been ridiculously efficient on offense all year, right? So it that's the, that's this is the contra, this is the contradiction is if you do that, you take your best first shot, play to your strengths which they've been doing, you make yourself susceptible to a, you know, what happened in Golden State, running out of gas at the end. So it's a bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's a shame that Steph isn't as gimpy as he was last year. I think this could be a a fascinatingly close series. That's the other sort of now getting away from the approach and tactics a bit is I can't help but think, right? I'm certainly not the first to notice it, but Steph wasn't right in game six and game seven last year, was he? 
he just he didn't he just looks so much more he looks healthy he looks healthy again so um yeah anyway yeah, so I, don't I forgot think he what was you right all last playoffs I mean he got injured in the Portland series and I don't think he was ever hundred percent when he came back so uh, and yeah. there's no doubt I mean he's he's had that exact same shot over Kevin Love. Uh, which was the famous one he missed in Game 7 last year. He's probably had that four or five times uh, in this series and nailed it, I think, every time. So he's looked better. He didn't look that great in Game 4, but you, know, you expect that he's, he's allowed to have one bad game every series, I'd say. And they obviously, Clay, the, the foul calls and the officiating really played into what Cleveland were trying to do as well. 21 fouls they shot in the first quarter and Clay Thompson in foul trouble. Um, I think Draymond was in foul trouble as well, so um, the, the, that sort of played into what Cleveland were trying to do also, which is just put some pressure on the officials and make them make some calls, and they got the calls their yeah. way in Game yeah. 4. Um, I think Game 3 was obviously the fascinating one. That was the one we wanted to see, you know, these two teams sort of going blow for blow down the stretch, um, and Cleveland really blew that game quite badly. They blew it in two, two periods, one when LeBron sat at the end of the first quarter, and uh, Golden State went on a 10-0 run at that point, and then of course they finished the game on an 11-0 run. And there was some really low IQ basketball played by some of the Cavs in that stretch. Uh, and Ty Lue made a couple of errors as well. I thought they only had one timeout left when so the KD comes down, hits the big three, which LeBron sort of slacked, played off him a bit too far, which was a bit frustrating. And then, of course, they only have one timeout. So normally, if you have two timeouts, you take a timeout there, draw up a proper play. But instead, because they have no timeouts, uh, then they've got Kyrie Irving. Who's sort of then it was four, about forty seconds left. So you're thinking, okay, two for one. I guess in Kyrie's defence, you know, I play basketball. Uh, I play point guard very badly, and I could never tell you what how much time's on the shot clock. So maybe it's it's not, you know, and playing at that level in that sort of situation, it's a, it's a big ask and have someone to say, you need to know how much time is on the clock. Um, and I think had Ty Lue have had that time out, maybe they could have set up a better play and a quicker play to take that two-for-one opportunity. It was certainly a very poor shot that he took um, at that point. And it was one of those things, you either take the best shot you've got or you take an early shot and he did neither, and that really hurt them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, then the other mistake they made straight after that was Draymond Green got the ball. Instead of fouling him, they let him pass it to KD, fouled KD. Well, that's two automatic points, and it was pretty much game over. Although LeBron, as you pointed out, did have that chance to hit the three, and um, Iguodala got the steal, which was a little bit of redemption for him uh, on the block from last year. So that was, I mean, did you see that the same way? A bit of low IQ basketball from Cleveland. Also, the other thing that, that shocked me, and I'm not sure if it shocked you as much, so they need the three to tie the game at the end of regulation, and Kyle Corver's not even on the court. And I just, that, that stunned me. And I thought, I know he missed the wide open three not long before that, but I just thought, what was the point of signing this guy if he's not going to be on the court in that moment? Yeah, so look, I think the whole final few minutes was basically everything that could go wrong did go wrong, right? You know, LeBron in the ISO play, he should have just lost himself, but Golden State got enough of a position and he shoots that weird off-balance fadeaway one-footer. There's just, you know, the missed shot by Korver, the, yeah, you said the, you know, the, the Kyrie play, 
Um, LeBron sagged off just a foot too far, and you know KD hit the dagger. Like it just kind of the whole the whole thing just felt like um, my sense is just bad execution as a result of it's just it's uncharacteristic though, right? So I go, it's very uncharacteristic. This is a right. We all know this team and their pedigree and what happened last year. So it's not it's not something inherently about the team. I think they just totally botched execution. And I have a feeling, right? You were hinting at it with Ty not having enough timeouts. They're gassed. Hmm. They're they're running they're running out of gas last two minutes. And you know, you're gassed and you're sucking air and you're you're you know, your decision making's just a bit cloudy. That's what it felt like. It just it felt almost a little bit uncharacteristic of them. So right, I think a couple pods ago we were saying the that's one of the advantages Cleveland had if they just could keep a game close. You know, Golden State were like 20th in the league in crunch time basketball. Crunch time, uh, I think, real plus minus or mm. efficiency. I forget the metric. It was 20th in the NBA, and Cleveland was one or two. So, yeah, I, I sort of just felt like it's a, one of those games where you almost have to go, fuck, just, you just needed a bounce or a break or a, a shot. You needed KD to rim out that shot and get a long rebound, right? You just They were one possession away from closing that out, so... Um, I thought Game Three was awesome. To an earlier point you made, I thought that was highly enjoyable basketball. To um, I don't think there was a single moment that any team led by ten points. So there's there's your dream finals match, a perfect arm wrestle, you know, from beginning to end. So I loved the drama of Game Three, especially when you felt it was that was the game set up for Cleveland to win. Right, that's the game that the the visitor team visiting team gives away. But, um, yeah, even when KD hit the shot, I thought I still thought Cleveland were going to win. It was just this felt like a Cleveland was going to win that game um, all the way through, and then I was just stunned at the way the last minute really played out. Just missed shots, poor execution, as you say, and then that was the thing we expected Cleveland to do a little bit better um, across the two. Bill Simmons made the point. He said that's that game through was what an All Star game would look like if the players actually tried. And he's probably got a point because some of the offensive <laughs> play on this play good metaphor. was just yeah. unbelievable. I mean, Kyrie Irving is just Kyrie. ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous finishing at the rim. I've never seen a, a small player finish at the rim like that. He was just unbelievable. Steph making shots. KD had a quiet 31 points, which, you know, only great players can have a sort of quiet 31 points, then hit the big shot towards the end of the game. Um, it, it, it really was a great well, game. It, it, stylistically, probably not the style that I prefer compared to what you probably prefer. But, uh, you know, a lot of shots chucked up early in the shot clock, which frustrates me at times. But um, overall, I think that was, that was the game when we sort of um, talked about this series and wanted a close game. That's the game that we wanted to see. And it would have been fantastic if all four games have been like that. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think you you might have to – you could turn out to be at the grumpy old man the next decade, Daz, if you don't. You know, I think this is – it's here to stay. It's take your first best shot. Well, I said, yeah, right? if, 86 points, first best. if yeah. 86 points in a half, is that's where basketball is well, going, then count me out. And if Russell Westbrook, MVP, if that's where basketball is going, you know, we may not be doing this pod for too much longer because I might just walk away. Um, I think there's some good signs about basketball and we can talk about the challenges that the Warriors present to other teams. I guess I don't mind it when I see it from the Warriors and other teams trying to stop the Warriors and you get that battle, but when both teams are just trying to do it, I don't know, it's just it's it's just not 
there's, there's a purity missing for me, dare I say it, Daz, um, within the game. And I just think this is not, this doesn't look like basketball anymore. I don't know. I, look, I hear the point where if it's, it just feels like a game of horse, right? It's like I can feel that at some their sequences. But if you watch the game, Cleveland, the way Cleveland whips the ball around, right, when it's working, it looks it looks as beautiful as your as your Spurs in 2014, mate. That ball moves before they're touching it. it, it it's beautiful ball movement. And these guys are getting wide open shots against an NBA, one of the best defensive teams in the league, or best team ever. And look, I know Golden State probably wasn't, you know, one could argue how, how hard were they trying to close it out, you know, but still. Um, look, the first half wasn't enjoyable. I didn't like the... That's a whole different conversation. I don't actually want to talk about the refereeing. I just no interest in talking about it. It's the nature of the game. Different refs come, different refs go. I don't have any idea why the NBA puts the refs they put in these games. So I'm not even let myself engage in that dialogue. But um, but that's the way the game's being played. I thought Game Three, I guess I was talking about Game Three, was a beautiful basketball game. In so much it was within ten points. The entire game, no one led by double digits. The entire game. It's just yeah. a shame, it, and it ended in a running out of steam. Game four was by no means a hallmark game. I don't care about the records being set. That's irrelevant. That's about as relevant as you know Drew Brees throwing for fifty touchdowns. All the rules have changed in the league. You know you can't check anybody. And all the rosters have changed. So I kind of go setting records. That doesn't interest me. Um, what interests me is that. It wasn't that much different than Game Three. Just the three pointers went down, right? They, well, they we, just, said, we said that when we were talking about Styles, didn't we? We said, uh, yeah. particularly from Houston's point of view, we say if Houston hit twenty five threes, you're not beating winning. them. And yeah. the Cleveland hit the twenty four threes, and they're really playing that D'Antoni Houston style without a doubt. In the way, but what I loved, especially series. about about Game Three, right, was Cleveland didn't. Right? Cleveland was. Let me look at it. They were twelve for forty four. For 27% from three-point land in game three, whilst Golden State was 16 for 33, 49%. If you told me that Golden State would outshoot Cleveland by 20% from three-point land and outscore them by 12, right, 16 to 12, I go, that game's a, that's a 25-point game. So that's what I liked about game three is Cleveland didn't make the 24 three-pointers. Golden State shot a ridiculous percentage from three. And Cleveland was in it to the very final seconds. That's what I liked about that game. That ba- that game was a battle. So that's th- that game felt like a battle to me. Um, yeah, I think so. so. I mean, look, and, and the first two, the two first halves in, in Golden State uh, were very high quality basketball too in terms of um, how close it was. Um, and certainly the speed of the game, both games, which came back to bite Cleveland, um, as we've mentioned. But, you just look at it, I'm just bringing out the stats now of game game three, and it was they were amazing efficient, like Kyrie 16 to 29, LeBron 15 to 27. So even though they're not, and I mean, Kyrie was 0 of 7 to 3. So uh, despite not being able to hit the outside shots, he was just finishing at the rim, un- unbelievable um, efficiency across that game. So that was great to see. And then certainly Cleveland in the paint in that game, were far better than Golden State, and that was the sort of game they needed to have. Um, just looking at the rebounding stats now, Golden State actually out-rebounded them in Game 3 by 7. 
uh, and there was a few, but Golden State had the 18 turnovers, and that's one of the things that Cleveland would have been trying to concentrate on, I think, coming into this series, was trying to get win that turnover battle or the rebounding battle, because you've, as we keep saying, you've got to have more shots than Golden State to try and beat this team, because generally they're going to outshoot you from three. Yeah, and that's an understatement. Just So game three, right? Durant was four for seven from three-point land. Yep. Curry was five for nine. That's 56%, 55.5, right? Durant, 57%. Clay was six for 11. That's 55%. Like, seriously? Mm. Like, seriously, guys, in your best <laughs> Cartman voice, I'm like, come on. And I mean, Draymond Green really hasn't shot the ball well at all. Hasn't needed to. Doesn't uh, need but, to. He's got Kevin Durant's on his team now. Doesn't need to. Yeah, but it's, uh, the point I was going to make, I guess, is Dray- oh, Draymond Green has so many other ways to impact the game, and he and to your point, he doesn't need to shoot that well now. But he had seven assists, and some of the passing that guy does, just the way he sees the floor at both ends, both ends of the floor on defense and offense. Oh, I'm struggling to think of a player that reads the game as well as what he does at both ends of the court. I just, off the top of my head, I can't think of a guy that that has been that good um, in doing that. And and Larry Bird, yeah, probably right. I mean, that's that's the level of IQ you're talking about. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is, yeah, and it's 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 a tiny look. It's a you know, this is micro micro sample set, but just even in Game Three, right? Curry, 39, Clay, 40, and Kevin Durant, 40 minutes. LeBron James, 45, Kyrie Irving, 44. Who runs out of gas, right? Yeah. So I just kind of go, the superstars, the two of the five best players in the league, and they can sit for an extra five minutes, and it doesn't matter. Well, the problem you know, that's for Tyler Lue was cheating. The, the, the period that LeBron sat, which was two minutes and 23 seconds, they went on a 10-0 run, and it was horrendous think, basketball. Uh, I think it was eleven, but yeah, it was it was bad. It was, bad. It was, was it, it was ten zero, and then you're right. He sat for forty seconds, and it was like three nil or something like that. And <laughs> in the second half, wasn't it? It was. It was yeah, thirteen it was right nil or something. Quarter, wasn't it? I think he had the yep. last forty seconds off or something. <laughs> one, just one possession. So you do oh, feel for Tyler in that sense. It's like, how do you take off uh, LeBron James and Tyler? I feel for LeBron. You have to feel for. The guy a little bit, you know. Oh, I feel oh. for LeBron as well, but yeah. obviously having to watch that on the bench. But um, yeah, from yeah. Ty Lue's point of view, it's just such a difficult decision. Like, how, you, you know you need to give him rest, but you also know if you take him out of the game, they're going to fall off the cliff. And that's where I think, that's the criticism I have of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. Like, they should be good enough when LeBron's off the court, one of them to take over the game to a certain extent. Um, and at least keep them afloat. And consistently across the time LeBron's been there, they have been unable to do that. Um, Kyrie mm, did it in Game Four against yeah. Boston. If we're going to be fair to him, I guess. But this is obviously a different level of competition. But you know, you look at the, even their record when LeBron sits and has his rest games in the regular season. It's very, very poor. So that that's the big knock, I think, for all the superlatives that people are throwing at Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I still think there's another level that he possibly knows the reach in his game where he's able to... Because if they're able to stagger their minutes a little bit, then LeBron can come out and say, well, I've played 40 minutes a night rather than 45. And that can be the difference between hitting that fall-away shot or even taking Iggy to the rim at the end of the game three and... Um, 
and not yeah, and not being able to hit that shot sort of hitting him on the front of the rim. And Kyrie, of course, looked tired on his final shot as well. A um, couple of criticisms I've heard out of this series, and I just if I get one more team out of the 80 saying that they'd sweep the Warriors, I think I'm gonna my head's gonna explode. I'm sick and tired of hearing every single team from the 80s coming. I'm waiting for George Gervin to come out and say the Spurs would have swept this, this Warriors team. It's getting so ridiculous. And then uh, I also heard some criticism of LeBron for passing to, Co- to Kyle Korver for some reason, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. That's obviously the play near the end of Game 3, which is just crazy stuff. So there's, there's some ridiculous stories, I suppose, that you see coming out of... And have you, have you seen some of those stories? Is there anything particularly that's grabbed your attention? Yeah, I, I, I barely dignify them as existing. It's it's noise. It's, it's just non-analyst analysts generating noise, and it's the big networks needing to fill 115 days in between fucking NBA Finals games and with, with random shit. So it's absolute rubbish because he's looking... No, they're rubbish. Both points are complete and utter garbage. Would we uh, that's have a I'm different with... view? If Michael Jordan was in this era of the 24-7 Twitter world and just constant analysis of every single little thing, I mean, would we look back on his career differently, do you think? God, that's a great question. Um, well, it it does amaze me to an extent that LeBron is so rigorous in every aspect of his life, the people he surrounds himself with, the, you know, his habits, his eating habits, his workout regimen, his taking care of his body with his social persona, with his business. He is so imagine the energy you have to exert to be so calculating, right. To have to control your privacy and control, you know, your, your environment so much. I go, just imagine that pressure in life to have to do that where MJ had none of it. Mm. He could have, he could, I don't know, purported affairs and Juanita, you know, was going to leave him and, you know, almost Tiger Woodsian sort of stuff. And then the, you know, his little hiatus in the middle of his career, you just kind of go, he just, he was left alone. Like he left for two years and it was, oh, Wink, wink, maybe a gambling debt, but wink, wink, he loves baseball. And that was it. It's a bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And can you imagine LeBron quitting for two years? <laughs> yeah. he'd, have, he'd have 50 TMZ reporters following him around for two years, right? So just in that respect, you cannot – that's why I don't, even, I don't even engage in the dialogue of comparing will this team beat that team. That's the dumbest question. It's like my dad's going to beat up your dad. No, my dad could beat up your dad. You know, that's about <laughs> yeah. as intelligent as it is. The rules are so different, and that's as far. The rules are so radically different. The science is different. Everything's different. So I'm not. I'm not going there in that in that realm. But so yes, as a short answer to your question, we don't. We can never know, right? Michael was as every bit as competitive, if not even more so, than LeBron in his desire to win. So I probably. A pretty high confidence level, he would have engineered his life in such a way. Um, maybe a little more, little more Duncan-like. I'm not saying in that level of solitude, but a little more Duncan-like in privacy. You know, probably less banana boat partying with, you know, with the boys and in, in the 
Caribbean sort of stuff the way LeBron does in the offseason. But, um, yeah, he'd have been fine. But he, but no one can appreciate the pressure that these guys are under and the scrutiny they're under. Well, I think the only touching, uh, the, the only sort of similar thing that Jordan had was the Jordan rules when the, that book came out and there was some sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. But I just think there would have been so many more behind-the-scenes stories of some of the things Jordan has done and said over his career um, that would have came out very quickly into the public realm. We've sort of heard about the urban legends years later, but I, I think the level of scrutiny would have been so much more on Michael Jordan. Um, and so I, I do think I, I do think there's a point to that. I think we... LeBron is probably not as appreciated as he should be, um, I think is the main point that I'd make. There. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I think it's also this this cross-era cross era stuff, I think, is just a, it's a bit of a trite conversation, I think, right? It's a bit of, look, we've had this, we've had the chat before, right? A lot of the, you know, a lot of the analysts, right? It's, you know, Barkley and Shaq and you know, Tracy McGrady and kind of, you know, 80s, 90s players in the NBA seems to still be defined by, you know, the, yeah, there was Bill Russell and then there was Magic and Bird and then there was Michael. Right? There's kind of like the three, three phases of the league, right? I think all of us have wiped away Kobe and Shaq. <laughs> we don't dig five as an ugliest, ugliest of all ugly. We can agree on that, can't we? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. But you know, it's just, it's the stacking, it's the super team question for me. More of the question is the super team argument, and is that is that enjoyable basketball? And um, you know, is that is it good for the league? That's that for me is probably the more interesting emerging conversation, yeah. ongoing conversation. Is well, I've I've you know, gone is, a bit is that good for the league? Yeah, I've gone a bit one eighty on the whole super team. So I, I think it's I think it's very unfair that be critical of Golden State for building this team. I mean, three of the t- players they've got were drafted. None of them were high draft picks in terms of you know top three draft picks. So they've developed this team largely, and they developed the team that won the 72 games, um, and they put themselves in the position to be able to sign Kevin Durant. Um, if you're going to be critical of anyone, even the critical might be too strong a word, but just I would question Kevin Durant's competitive edge, I guess, um, going to the team that beat him last year. But from that another point of view, you look at it and say, well, do you really think Russ Westbrook's that uh, much of a joy to play with? And maybe he sort of thought, you know what, I'd rather play a team game and team basketball at this very high level that we're seeing from them um, rather than play the sort of my turn, your turn offence that we saw for so many years in OKC. So um, there's no doubt he's probably enjoying his basketball a lot more in terms of what he's doing on the court. Um, not only is he winning as, as well, but just the style of play is much better. So, And why I like it in this sense is it's now a challenge for the league. It's like, OK, Golden State have set the standard. Let's see who's going to be up to to taking them on um, and let's see who's going to be maybe building for the future and, and looking ahead um, but I think there are challenges coming for Golden State and where I'm excited about the super team is this is a team yes they are a very good team but they are a very good team playing a certain style of basketball and I firmly believe there will be a, someone's going to come up with a style that will worry them right 
And I've touched on your Milwaukee Bucks. I think they're maybe a couple of years away, but I really like the style of basketball they're building behind Giannis and these get five athletes on the floor. Everyone can defend. You know, at least four of them can shoot. At least two or three of them can attack the rim. And you're going to see another style of basketball come out that Golden State may very well have some problems with. So that's where I'm excited to see, well, what's the next evolution? Because I don't think you're going to beat Golden State playing the same type of basketball they're playing. And I think we're seeing that now with Cleveland. I think you either need to you know, maybe go a bit old school. I don't think that's going to work either. I think there's going to be a totally new basketball, and I'd love to see it not just sort of, you know, pissing in your pocket again as a Bucks fan, but I think the Bucks are a team that I'm really excited to see the type of basketball they're going to produce um, in, you know, two, three years' time when Giannis is really up and about and hopefully maybe Jabari comes back or whatever other development they see. But that's where I get really excited now about the NBA. And I know a lot of people are a bit down and say, oh, Golden State are going to dominate. But I, I don't think they'll dominate for as long as what people are expecting. But I'm not sure if, if you, you're agreeing that, with that statement. Well, it's, it's certainly going to be the next couple of years. Let's, let's, let's put it that way, right? So I don't see any slowdown. Um, KD will re-up. It'll be fine. Um, but um, I guess just going back to, the, to this question around super teams, I guess I'm, I was trying to think back. When you had, what, 20, 22, 2014, back in the 80s and 90s, and all the expansion happened in the you know, 90s and 2000s, right, with the, the mm. Heat and the Magic and the Grizz and, and so on and so forth, right? And like, superstars were already clustered in the 80s. And so this, I don't even like the, the, um, the labeling of super team. I go, okay, yeah, they're super team. They won 73 games. What they, I think my numbers were wrong last time, by the way. I think there's been 10... I think I said nine before. There's been ten NBA finals that have not been contested by the Celtics, the Lakers, Jordan, LeBron, or or the Spurs, right? Literally five, you know, five dynasty, you know, three three amazing players and two the two dynasties. So we've had super teams since the beginning of the league. It's just the nature of the sport. So I don't. I also reject the criticism of Golden State as a, as a super team being synonymous with being negative or being villainous. What I don't like, right, is the and there's no changing it because it was all within the rules. I just don't like how KD has to go, you know, get his own banana boat and go play with his pals and, you know, just go chase championships. You know, I don't I don't like that. I don't like how he has done that. I don't like his attitude towards it. But but look at their look at that team. It's a ridiculously talented team. So um, I'm not anti super team per se. It's going to be so bloody hard, but as you were saying, the Bills are drafting. They drafted everybody. This is their guy. So, um, and so the other question asked was, what team is going to, what sort of team was going to beat it? And this is why I thought, I'm, you know, a little bit shocked that LeBron, you know, back in last, you know, last July and last August, wasn't thinking of that same question, where he concludes, you know, that needs to be. Channing Fry and Kyle Clover and locking up J.R. Smith for for eternity and you know paying Tristan Thompson a bazillion dollars and um, you know then going getting Darren Williams and that sort of thing during the season and even getting Bogut as short lived as his tenure was 
I think just quickly on Bogut, I think Bogut would have made a difference in this series. If he he might was hundred percent healthy. Yeah, he might have. He might have, but I guess what you know, the, the answering your question is where I thought where Cleveland probably should have gone if, if it was possible is to find more I'm gonna use my team as a reference point, right? But more Chris Middleton and Tony Snell type players. Six foot seven guys who can guard one, two, threes, and fours, and they can shoot the three. They need three and D versatile players who can race out and close out on, on Steph and KD mm. um, and and not be a total um, sinkhole on the offensive end the way Tristan and um, and Shump have been in the series so far. J.R. Smith, you just don't know what you're going to get game in, game out well, from him. So that's where right. he's been. He, had one, he was yeah, okay in game, game three. Game four, but... Or game four, sorry. Yeah, but who didn't? So that's where I thought he – LeBron likes old guys, and I think they—I think they underestimated. I think they got overconfident after last year's finals. I oh, think I they underestimated perhaps health, and they thought we're just going to lock and load. And they probably knew that we we're going to be a top five defensive team. And they said we're going to be so good in every other area, particularly on offense. We're just going to—we're going to blow everyone away. And they're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's right. I think they didn't understand absolutely, but... where they where they were at. I mean, they thought that they. I think they came into this series legitimately thinking they were just better than the Warriors, and I think that was one of the reasons they went with this really fast pace too, because they just thought we Warriors can't. We're not worried about trying to stop the Warriors. The Warriors have to worry about stopping us, and I think that's the wrong attitude to have. Um, going into this series, I think they needed to look at what team is going to give Warriors problems um, rather than the other way around. And I think the call yeah. for signing Channing Fry was good for them, I suppose, last year. I don't know how much impact, if any, he had in the finals, but um, he was okay. But it's just not really the type of roster I think you need um, to go up against Golden State. And that's going to pose some you interesting know- questions for them going forward, I think. If we could have a love child between the Utah Jazz roster and the Milwaukee Bucks roster, that's your team. So mm. you had a George Hill and a Gobert, you know, to bookend uh, Middleton, Snell, um, Giannis, and Brogdon. I go, that's what, that's what you need. Mm. You need a big point guard. Yep. <laughs> who can switch a, a, a you know Thon Maker, the the realized Thon Maker. That's what I say. Even you know, dare to dream for me. And if Thon turns out to be half as good as Giannis in, in two or three years, I go, there's your mystery. Now you've got two seven-footers, two seven-footers with seven-foot-seven wingspans. You know, they, they can cover anybody. That's what's going to have to emerge in almost so rare. But that's what's going to be, oh, I'm so fascinated by this year's draft. I just can't I want the series over now, as horrible as that sounds, because <laughs> I'm so fascinated by the, the talents coming out of this draft and who lands where and just seeing the complete and continued devaluing of the center position. But the unbelievable, just the, excuse me, the scarcity, the total scarcity of these types of players, these six, seven, six, eight, you know, wing type players who can guard two, three and four and, um, and play defense and rebound and shoot the ball. They're so rare. Um, and so I can't wait to see where those sorts of players land. 
And that's yeah. where I go. Cleveland, Cleveland's given away all their assets, right? And so that's the, I don't know where you want to segue, but I thought maybe it's a little bit early for a, you know, a, it's a bit of a pre-mortem, not a post-mortem, but you know, where does Cleveland go from here? Let's assume this, this gets closed out in, in game five, which I gotta be shocked if it doesn't. Um, you know, where does Cleveland go from here? Well, the Cleveland look at it and say, you know what, a couple of bands of the ball go differently in game three and we're heading back 2-2 two, two, and we're every chance in this series. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of glass half full way you could look at this um, rather than, than going, oh, well, you know, we got blown out in five games because a, a five-game series can be a lot closer than it sometimes seems. Um, and, you know, a couple of calls can go differently, a couple of bands of the ball can go differently, can easily be 2-2, and then it's a real series. So I think Cleveland, it's, it'll be interesting because they, they haven't got a lot of room to move. I mean, they've traded away pretty much everything. They've locked themselves into this roster. That's why these ridiculous LeBron to the Lakers stories are taking hold because they, people can see where um, this roster is going to be and it's probably got another year potentially like this, unless you tr- do trade Kevin Love. Um, and I'm just not sure. I mean, people are saying trade Kevin Love for Paul George, but I'm not sure why Indiana wouldn't necessarily do that. And if that's even going to move the needle for them, for what they're trying to do against Golden State, um, I, I think there's certainly some interesting questions, but I'll, I'd be... I'd be even more interested to know internally what they're thinking at the moment and whether they feel like they're actually much closer to this team than what other people are, what we're sort of pontificating at the moment. The only thing I would say, I don't think Cleveland are going to be better next year with this team. I think they're going to be a year older. I think LeBron will start to slow down just a little bit. I don't expect it a lot, but I don't think this team's necessarily going to be better from what they've done this year. Well, he's going to have to play fewer minutes, right? And as you as we observed in in the finals, when LeBron's off the court for an extra three or three minutes a game, it could be minus you know, over a course of eighty games, you might be an average of you know minus four points or minus five points. Mm. You know, so if LeBron goes from what did he play this year, like forty one, something crazy, so he's going to have to play fewer minutes. And I'm with you. I, I'm I'm actually of the mindset this team, this roster, isn't good enough over if they kept playing seven-game series, right? This team, this roster isn't good enough to beat them four out of seven. Maybe an occasional, you know, if they played ten seven-game series, they'd win two, you know, mm. with this roster. But I just think it's they'd need to be, they'd need to have game three performances where they make 24 three-pointers. You know, and I go, that's, 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 no, way to, that's no way to do it. They need to play defense. You can't just, and that's what's happened. J.R. Smith and Trump don't play defense anymore, and their liabilities in offense. And Kevin oh, loves. I, think, I think it's not even so much not playing defense. I think when you play at this pace, you're going to be in the shootout. So it's it's almost impossible to play great team defense when you're playing at the pace. Well, Golden State at. plays great. Well, Golden State plays great team defense, right? You know, the Spurs play great team defense, and they shot well, the ball early in the shot they clock. They do, they do. I mean, the, you look at the scores. I mean, Cleveland have scored 113, 113, and 137 in the last three games. So the only game where Golden State's defense was a factor was game one when Cleveland had a heap of turnovers. So Golden State, despite being a very – and we, we all concede they're a very good defensive team. With the the style that we've seen in this, in this uh, series – 
I think it's impossible to play really good defence. Or, or there may be our view of defence needs to change. Maybe keeping a team to 113 points in these games is actually decent defence. Yeah, I'd have to check the efficiency. Right, Cleveland only scored 91 in the game one, didn't they? Yes, and probably more that the... was the game where they, they did play good on defence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm probably of the mindset that they've constructed the roster wrong. Um, and... Um, I don't know, because they're not going to develop within. You're right, they're not going to get better. So status quo doesn't feel like a realistic option. Plus, David Griffin's contract is up in in 18 days, right? They're longtime GM. So who knows? There might be a, a new voice that comes in and sees something differently. I think unloading J.R. Smith and Schumpert's contracts would be very hard. I think it'd be, you know, unless they take in sort of an equal type you know, sort of salary back, sort of a salary swap perhaps. Um, I just don't see how likely that would be because who's, you know, what team out there is dying for, uh, you know, for J.R. Smith. And so I think they're going to have to fundamentally ask the question, do they have to trade Love or Tristan in order to make this team better or both? That for me is probably the entirety of their down their off season. is, you're right. One, do they think this roster just, just lock and load again, cruise through the East again, um, and and reload, or do they actually try to, you know, plan for another, you know, round four against Golden State? Well, they've made some pretty dumb moves too through the season. I mean, I, I remember the Christmas Day game, and DeAndre Liggins, is it DeAndre Liggins? Um, I keep getting him confused, and then De'Aaron Fox, but uh, I think DeAndre Liggins was the one, D.Liggins, Liggins. there you go. He was guarding uh, Steph Curry for large periods, including in crunch time in that game. Like, this guy wasn't a great offensive player, but he could play some defense. And you could just you could see a role for him in this series, and they cut him so they could throw Dante Jones on the end of the roster. It just made no sense at the time. It makes no sense now. That's right. So it's your, it's your Jonathan Simmons. It's your Tony Snell. It's your Norman Powell. Right? It's, it's those sorts of players that make a huge difference in the, against a team like Golden State. Um, and they're athletes who can run, run all day long and close out. So, yeah, I don't know where they're going to find them. So I'm kind of of the camp. We'll, we'll see how like, Game 5 unfolds. Well, let's see Game 5. I mean, because yeah. the, the one thing I'd say is if Cleveland can find a way to win Game 5, the pressure of this series completely turns 180 and Golden State are under more pressure than maybe any other team will be in the history of the NBA because, you know, they, they would have now had five closeout games against Cleveland going 0-5 in, in those games. And with all the pressure and all the expectation, going back to Cleveland, they're not going to be favoured in that game if they lose tomorrow. And they don't want any part of a Game 7, I'm sure, even if it will be on their home court. So tomorrow is a really fascinating game, I think, from that point of view. Because if they come out, even if they're a little bit tired early, and maybe Cleveland punch them in the face again in that first quarter, um, things could get pretty interesting pretty quickly in this series. And if anyone's going to come back from a 3-0 deficit, it's LeBron James. <laughs> Steve Kerr coaching? <laughs> well, he didn't, he... Coach, he didn't coach much in... Um, Game three, what I saw, I was I was flabbergasted by some of the decisions he made in that game because um, he, he took they had two periods. I mean, we talked about 
in game three. LeBron sitting and um, Golden State going on a run, but twice for probably two, three-minute stretches. So you had KD and Steph sitting at the same time. And Cleveland, unsurprisingly, went on a couple of runs in that game. And then there was another time when Cleveland went small ball and he kept David West out there and he kept the coward out there. And you're just thinking, what's Steve Kerr doing in this game? I just couldn't work it out. Um, and he sort of said afterwards he, that he's playing for a seven-game series. He's expecting it to be a long series. So he was trying to give guys rests at different points in the game. But I just thought, gee, I, I could imagine everyone going carry the carry-on if Mike Brown still was coaching um, that team. And those sort of lineups were left out there at the time. I think Steve Kerr maybe rightfully is judged on a different plane than Mike Brown. At this stage, so the answer to your question, long-winded answer, yes, Steve Kerr is still catching. He is. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. The Look, ones. I think they just gotten a bit. He's gotten a bit casual. He's probably so confident, and you know, that's what's so funny. I, I this is just a. I don't have the data, but it actually doesn't even look like Golden State's working that hard. Does I it? I don't think we've Does seen it's... their best in this series yet. That's. I, I mean, don't I think, think game one that's was scary pretty thing. close. Just that they didn't shoot the ball that well. But game one, they were really good defensively. They had four turnovers to 24 assists, I yeah. think, off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, they were amazingly efficient in terms of what they were doing. That was really, had they have shot the ball well, that was probably the, the game that they would look back on and say that was our, our perfect game of basketball. And look, some nights you shoot well, some nights you don't, I, I think. But if you're doing those sort of things, if you're not turning the ball over, defending very well, obviously, with the talent they have, they're going to win more than they lose. Um, so, But I don't think we've seen their absolute best yet. And maybe Game 5 will be... Look, I certainly expect them to come out and win Game 5 easily. But I think if they don't, are not able to do it, then the, the narrative of this whole series will shift pretty quickly um, and the pressure will all be on them. But I, so I don't expect that to happen. And I think there are questions now for Cleveland, to your point, about uh, where they go from here. But I don't think there are necessarily a lot of options there for them. And obviously, there's questions uh, right around the league now. Yeah, look, I, I'd like to see Coach Lou stroke Coach James do <laughs> do something different. I'd like to see him. This would be the time, right? I thought, if, if, you know, if Bill Belichick were coaching this team, you can probably... You can expect the unexpected, right? That's well, what, what I'd like. What could they do I'd differently, like to see though? Because, I mean, Tristan Thompson's been a disaster, so it's not like they can, you know, somehow say, well, we're going to go bigger or we're going to try and implement a, a different game and we'll play a bit slower right from the start because that, that would – you'd think that's going to be a part of it would be having Tristan Thompson out there and well, he's the, been just atrocious. It's this, well, it's, it's the other part – the contrast we talked about early on, which is this, if you can – if you're going to play bully ball – and slow it down and pound it inside and, and create a lot of contact and force referees to call the same way. You're playing in the strengths of a Golden State who's a very good, you know, a very good defensive team, right? But but they haven't tried it, so they don't have any data on it. So I'd like to see them just play some smash mouth bully well, they ball. Tried it. They tried it in game seven last year and won the game. And 86 possessions in the game, um, in that game last year. And I think by contrast game one this year there was 113 possessions so for each team or, or on average so you know they we've seen them try and that was the, the style I think everyone thought they were going to try because when you've got one-on-one players like Kyrie and LeBron who can be so dominant in scoring the ball even a great defensive team like Golden State can struggle to stop them so 
I've been really surprised by the fact that they haven't gone that way, but I've been equally surprised by just how poor Tristan Thompson's been. Um, and that really affects the ceiling of their team when he's just... I don't know if he's not right physically. I mean, I'm seeing him being boxed out consistently um, on on rebounds on, on both ends of the floor. Um, it's been one one of the big advantages I thought Cleveland would have was Tristan Thompson would just kill it on the boards, and it just hasn't happened. The, yeah, board offensive boards and the bench they've done have been so disappointing in both aspects for the most part. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about Thompson either. Um, but he was phenomenal, right? In, in late last year, just creating possessions. And what I this goes up one of my recurring themes, right? Is that I want to see fight. I want to see. I want to see a hard game. And I'm. I have been a little bit disappointed just from the perspective of, especially in games. You know, the first two games, especially, but just way too much finesse, way too much trying to play. So it's not so much less about tactics more about mindset i just would like to see more physical play i get what's kept cleveland from being more physical that's what i understand well by their own admission they did that a bit more in game four um oh they realized in game four did they yeah so i mean we've been too nice for too long um so maybe they did a little bit in game three as well i guess that was a game they probably should have won so but i don't understand look it's, it's two years in a row that cleveland to me have come into the finals woefully unprepared to face the Warriors and just come in with, and you're just sitting there scratching your head thinking, what are they doing in the first two games in this series and certainly in the first two games last year? Um, and we've said it a number of times, if it wasn't for the Draymond Green's brain explosion, they probably losing five last year and who knows what they would have done to the roster uh, there. So now they're in the exact same spot again. Uh, with a title under their belt, so the decisions may be a little bit more difficult. But um, there's certainly some interesting questions ahead, I think, uh, after this series for Cleveland in terms of how they should go about it. And I guess across the league, because, I mean, if if you look at Golden State and the fact that they've won, if they win this game tomorrow, they'll be 16-1 in the playoffs, the dominant runners, dominant runners we've seen from the Lakers uh, in 2000. So you look at across the league, and, and obviously, as we've said, you expect Kevin Durant to come back. You expect Steph Curry is going to come back. They're going to keep the core of this team together. So if you're a team like Boston or if you're a team um, like, uh, I suppose, even the Bucks are looking down and you're sort of on the precipice of maybe making a run, do you want to try and put all your chips on the table and make a run now, knowing you've got this juggernaut Golden State? Or do you try and sort of build assets for the future and look at making a run through a four years' time? Well, that presupposes you can alter all the variables. There's so many crazy things that happen that are so unpredictable, right? I go, something as as innocuous as, as if Clay Thompson doesn't go video game NBA jam on fire, you know, in game six against OKC. We're not having this conversation. The wor- the NBA landscape is probably unrecognizable. You know, go- Kevin Durant is not on the Golden State Warriors, right? He's probably still back in OKC. So one crazy, crazy explosion like that, um, you know, OKC would have been in the finals last year, and we're we're not having this conversation. But um, so the the there's a lot of dumb teams, and a lot of the dumb teams will continue to do dumb things. The smart teams are going to say they're going to look at their assets, look at their salary cap, 
look at their fan base, etc., and they're going to go constantly try to go, how do we win 52 games or 55 games or whatever the number is? How do we win 50 games and and then see what happens? Let luck let luck happen in the playoffs. Let a nut punch. Let um, let, let yourself hope that you play the Clippers and they all get injured, right? Um, try to win your 50 or 55 games, which I, uh, I, I looked this up once. Like the average number of win totals for NBA's finals teams is something like 56 or 57, something like that, right? So you don't get to the finals unless you win 55 games. So the smart teams will do that. So whatever their time horizon is, is that you play to try and win games. So you don't go and do a, quote, blow up the roster thing. So um, so like Washington, I would tinker. I would tinker with moving Gortat and tinker with trying to get a little more defense on the bench and tinker with depth. If I'm Boston, I've got eight bazillion assets. I would also, believe it or not, they got a million moving parts, but I'd I'd tinker. I'd take Fultz. I'd see if, if Isaiah's healthy, maybe trade him at the deadline. If not, just let him go. And I'd, you know, I'd see what I have. Um, if I'm the Bucks, please God, take your draft pick, see if Jabari's healthy, you know, fill out the, you know, spots 11 through 15 on the roster with some minor free agents and young guys, build your D league team, and just just keep building. Um, so it would hope you don't see things like another stupid James Harden traded from OKC. I just hope you don't you don't see that. Now I don't know who's in that camp. You know who might go crazy and blow it up, right? Houston's not going to go trade, you know, Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson. OKC's not trading Stephen Adams, right? Washington's not trading Otto Porter or Bradley Beal. So I don't think we're going to see the blowups from the semi-pretender contenders. Um, so I I think they're all. If you just kind of go one by one, they've all kind of they've kind of got a path and. Unless one of them goes, well, I shouldn't count out Ernie Grunfeld from doing something catastrophic. So I, I have a hunch they're just going to keep keep on trucking. And so perhaps the fact that Golden State is so good is actually going to force these general managers to be smarter, right? They're going to, you know, we can't win next year anyway if we're honest. So let's keep our assets, develop our team, and and try and build a winner. It actually might create a, a nice second tier of teams, Daz, just by yeah, the fact I think that they're so right. good. And I think once yeah. this wash, washes through the NBA, I think it's going to be very, very competitive again. Because I don't think... I mean, there are going to be a few sliding doors moments in terms of do you make a play for a Jimmy Butler? Do you make a play for a Paul George? Even rent him for a season and, and, and go for it. And I don't think teams are going to make those sort of moves because even if going to get one injury next year, they're probably still the prohibitive favourites to win it. Uh, and, you know, you saw Kyle Lowry. I mean, this is this is the mindset of the Eastern Conference at the moment. Kyle Lowry goes to his exit interview and says, look, the reality is we're never winning the Eastern Conference while LeBron James is here. Period. So you think, well, and I'm sure Masai Jiri would have looked at that and uh, made some <laughs> rather unkind notes in, in what uh, might happen in his free agency uh, discussions. But... Uh, that's the mindset, I think, within some of these Eastern Conference teams at the moment. They just don't believe they're going to get past LeBron and the Cavs and, and potentially the West is feeling the same way at the moment. So they'll just maximise their potential as best you can. Certainly you hope for some luck. 
but uh, I don't think that anyone's going to be cashing in any assets um, to try and you know just add one one more piece. Um, the way Toronto really did um, this year, you know, they tried to add a couple of pieces, PJ Tucker and Serge Barker, and I wish Masai Jiri is probably saying to Cole Larrigeau, I wish you had told me that before I went and traded these draft picks in that we were no hope of winning. I wouldn't have bothered. So... Yeah, I wish you would have told me you're going to turn into a flat, slow, lazy asshole <laughs> on the playoffs. Hey, so why didn't you tell me that, Kai? Dog. Sorry, one more dig at Kyle Lowry. He's yeah. so awful. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, it's going to be a week from now, Daz. I, I think we're all pretty confident this series will be over a week from now. But you just there's going to be a lot of action. Right, so I think that second tier, the Toronto's, Milwaukee, you know, um, I think Miami, are Houston, team too in free agency. Exactly, Miami, Orlando. Now they've got their new front office. Indiana wants to; they're terrified of not getting value for Paul George. Charlotte's getting antsy. That team should have won fifty games. They can't quite get it right. New Orleans is under an immense pressure. Immense pressure. You know, to get into the playoffs, they're going to be doing crazy stuff. Detroit wants to, you know, borderline put their two best players up for sale. And Drummond and, and Jackson Sacramento is, you know, as volatile as ever. Phoenix has a 50 assets and not enough room to play at the Lakers. And Magic are itching. You know, Philadelphia has the mysteries coming back. I guess, boom, there's a dozen teams where you go, there's going to be a lot of action. And it'll be fascinating to see who... You know, amongst the second tier of teams, who finds an angle? Who, you know, who finds the next Vlade Divac, you know, <laughs> to grab to grab something? And that's where I go. That's perhaps I'd leave open the possibility, uh, and maybe we can explore some names in a, a week from now. But when the free agency comes up, this is the other thing we didn't talk about, but what there's nothing that keeps, you know, some, some vets from continuing to join Cleveland. You know the way at, at low, you know low prices and discount rates is maybe the other way Cleveland can. Um, whilst it doesn't make them young, mm. it might make them a little more, I don't know, a little more dangerous or set up in a way that lets them play. You know, um, the Golden State better. So, look, I don't know if Blake Griffin wants to go play for uh, a mid-level exception <laughs> for one year, but yeah, it'd be fun. Oh, if he so. Mate, Dwayne Wade would be more more likely to do that than, than uh, Blake Griffin at this point. Yeah, Dwayne Wade would even he wouldn't scare Javel McGee in a one on one battle, would he? At this point, God love him, especially with that haircut. Did you see his I hair? I heard dude? about it. I haven't seen it. No, I have heard about it. The red red hair, isn't it? Well, as red as a you know a dude like that's hair can be, it's it looks like Katy Perry did his hair, man. <laughs> Any of these pink sunglasses? Oh. Uh-huh. So this is, a, again, I'm going to go. I'm going to go old Dennis guy. Dennis Rodman phase or something. Oh, it's just, it's just, where's, there's just no testosterone. <laughs> I go, what is that? That's what I, that's why I think these old guys, they all, the 80s teams will beat up the, you know, they wouldn't. We don't know if they would. What they're saying is that it's just a, everyone just wants to be pals and, you know. Yeah, I think well, all the pruning and the peacocking gets under, oh, there, under their skin yeah. a bit. Yeah, so, all right, Daz, well. well, we might leave it there for tonight. We'll, um, next week we'll talk free agency. I also want to talk about the um, the D-League's being expanded. So every team has a D-League team now, and I think there's some fascinating 
um, that, that's going to make the player development so much more fascinating over the years um, in future. So I'm interested to talk about that. We might do a bit more it, deep dive on just, that as well. It's the G League now, Dallas. The G League, yes, that's right. I, I thought, thought it was G stand for. It's a Gatorade that's bought the sponsorship oh, sure, rights for it. Really. No, I thought that was a misprint as well. So, yeah, it's the, it's the G League, G. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk about the G League next week. We'll talk about free agency. Obviously, we'll break down whatever happens in the finals. And, and look, hopefully we get a good game, five tomorrow. And then we'll uh, we'll give Golden State their due once again, I, I would imagine, um, for winning the title, but maybe Cleveland. Look, I ended up with a lot of egg on my face last year when the Cavs came back from three-one. So I probably shouldn't write anything out at this stage. But uh, certainly, we expect Golden State to wrap things up tomorrow. But we'll see where we are in a week's time. Does my my over under on three pointers taken tomorrow is eighty. <laughs> 80 well, combined in the game. It's going to be. Wouldn't have, I mean, you go back to sort of 86 players, and they probably, you know, the, maybe the whole players, but certainly the finals, they probably shot about 20, 25 threes in the whole series. Yeah, that's right. So, All right, we'll see what happens, bud. All right, mate. We'll talk again soon.